We're looking at Mark chapter 4, and um, Mark 4 has been our foundation scripture that we've been using the last five or six weeks and uh, getting quite a bit out of it. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 says this, and Jesus said, he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. So he's talking about the man, the farmer who plants the seed. The farmer doesn't know how it works, but he knows that if he plants it, it will happen. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. In other words, there's a process, okay? Um, you have the promise in the seed of the provision that you need. There's a full-sized harvest in the seed that you've been given. But you've got to go through the process of faith to get it. Let's read it again. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, okay, it's beginning the process, then the head, after that the full grain in the head, which is the harvest. Process of faith is me doing the necessary things I need to do, being obedient to God and his word, to get the harvest to come to pass. But you've got to go through it, and it says here, but then uh, when the grain ripens, immediately, everybody say immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Touch your neighbor and say, my harvest is coming. Come on, say it with conviction, my harvest is coming. Now, there are people here today, and you come from different walks of life. All of us come from different walks of life. We have our experiences that we bring to the table. So wherever we come from, we're a product of those experiences of where we come from. And what has happened to us in the course of our lives. And some of you come from the world. So your first experience of church world is maybe faith builders. Maybe this is the first experience you've had of, of a church. And uh, we want that to be a, a positive experience for you. Something that's good that you experience. We know that's not always for everybody. But that there are, there, are time, there are times you get something from the Spirit of God through that word and faith builders. So that's a good thing. Some of you don't, are not necessarily right out of the world. I mean, you came out of the world at some point. We all did. But you come out of church world. So in other words, um, you have church experiences. And some of you have good church experiences. And some of you have had terrible or bad church experiences. Some of you had good pastors and good pastoral experiences. Some of you had negative or bad pastoral experiences. And therefore, when you come here, you will look through, you almost trained yourself to look through the veil or the lenses of those experiences. Now, I want to say something here before, because today it's going to get a little bit, it's going to be, I'm sure it's not going to be like a rah, rah, rah message. I shouldn't say it completely because every time I say that, it gets real exciting. But I, I, I will just say it's the Word of God. I'm going to check my emotions at the door, and I'm going to speak specifically what the Word has to say. Because I want you to learn something from me as your pastor, if, if, you, if you allow me to be your pastor, it would be my honor and privilege to do that, uh, is that I, I'm a brutally honest guy. In other words, uh, you know, uh, what you see is what you get. I, honest to God, people who know me, been around me for a long time, know I'm not, a, I'm not a different guy here. If you meet me at the grocery store, I'm the same dude. Come on, somebody. And I live this way. I'm not perfect. Never claimed to be perfect. I'm not the perfect pastor. If, if, if you say, well, I hope you never make mistakes. I'm going to tell you right now, before the service is ending, I will have made 10 mistakes. That's the way it goes. We're called human beings. You're not perfect. i got to forgive you too. 70 times 7. Dear Lord Jesus, heaven every day, every day, every single day. <laughs> so, 
Uh, but I, I want to be real. I want to be able to be an example. And if you t- you've heard me tell my story, and my wife, when she ministers, we tell on ourselves. We don't have to tell on ourselves. We can sound all great. I, I come from churches, but I'll be honest with you, where the pastor always sounded like he did everything right. Now that I'm a pastor, I know he was lying through his teeth. Come on, somebody. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody say amen to that. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I've lived close enough to God that you trust me that when I fall, come on, I get back with Jesus. I'm on, I can't do that no more. Because we, that's the way we're supposed to live. So I want my life to be an example, telling myself a little bit so that you're able to maybe say, you know what? If he can make it, I can make it too, praise God. So I, I want that to be the truth. So I, on the flip side of this deal is that I don't want faith builders to pay for the bad experiences you had at the other church. And I personally, as your pastor, don't want to pay for the other pastor's bad stuff he did. Come on, he did in the, in the church service or with you personally. I don't feel that's right that I've got to pay for his penalties. Just like if you get remarried, come on, talk to me, somebody, and you marry a new man, somebody say amen to that. He's a good man. Say, he's a good man. And now then you're going to make him pay for all your loser ex-husband. Come on, y'all. That ain't right. He, amen. <laughs> Big Dave said, that's right. Don't preach that, brother. Am I right about that? It's the same thing with you ladies. The same thing. With the, it's the same as true, right? For the, for, if we marry a woman, we don't want her to make us. Come on. We want to make sure that we're at, on an even playing field here. And so I, I, I want that to be in this house. I want there, you give us opportunity to hear the, the, the voice of the Lord, the expression of God that's in this place. Not that you don't forget your experiences and not that you don't learn from them because we do. Boy, we do. So you can turn a negative thing into a very positive thing. I said this on Thursday night. You know, you can turn the demonic into the dynamic. Something good could come out of something so bad. We learn. But I want you to hear this this morning. And this has been... Uh, our theme throughout our entire series on the seed effect. God can't give you what you're unprepared or unwilling to manage. And what I think God's doing in this church with all of us in every area of our lives is preparing us for another day. He's preparing us for a harvest that we've been seeding into. If we don't seed, we cannot feed The seed is the potential or the hope of another day. And so that seed carries with it a tremendous harvest. But if I'm not willing to be prepared for it or be willing to to manage that thing, it will not be put in my hand because God's principles are his principles. And it don't matter how much you pray about it, if you're not willing to be worked on and become obedient to what God's asking us to do. Then you're not being prepared for because he said, he said, unless you're willing to do the least, I can't give you more. If you do what's least, I can give you much. But if you don't do what's least, I can't give you any more than you've got already because you're not prepared to handle the harvest. There's always been the plan of God from the very beginning of time. In with God that speaks, speaks that he made man, put him in the earth, man and woman, Adam and Eve, put him in the earth. And the plan of God was for God's people, his, his children, to manage what he created. God created everything with the seed already in the ground. And he said, now here's what you do. Be fruitful and multiply. God's always wanted us to be fruitful. He wants us to have more than we've got. 
He wants us to multiply, not even add, not even addition. He wants us in multiplication to multiply what we've got. And then he said, replenish the earth. How do you replenish the earth? You can't do it without seed. Because if you eat all the harvest, you ain't got no seed to plant for next year. So he said, I need you to manage the earth. That's always been God's plan. And we found out that Jesus told a parable. And in the parable, he's relating this to his disciples and those that were hearing him. And he said there was an owner of a field, a great vineyard. And he went away and he put his, 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 his vineyard keeper there to take care of everything. And when he got back, he knew the trees he had planted. And he goes over to one tree, only one of them. Goes over to one of them and he sees there's no fruit on the tree. He said, that he calls the, the vine keeper over and said, come over here. And he says, yes, sir. He said, this tree, every year I come back, there's no fruit on this tree. Yes, sir, that's, that's true. He said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to cut this tree down. That's what Jesus said. If you don't bear fruit, you got to cut it down. He said, now, then he said, because why should it take up any more ground than it's already taken up? Eating all the nutrients and not providing anything for anybody else. Does anybody see any selfishness in that? I want it for me, but I don't want to provide for you. So I'm going to eat up all the resources. He said, cut the sucker down. Let's put a tree in here that we know will produce fruit, and everybody will be happy. And, and here's the voice of mercy. The vine keeper who loved the vineyard and loved the tree, who believed in the tree. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. The vine keeper said, sir, would you extend your grace and your mercy just one more year? Don't make me cut the tree down yet. I know this thing will produce if you just give me just a little more time. And he's saying that to us today. And it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, come on. Give them one more chance, Father. They may not produce much, but I believe in them. And I know they have the potential of a mighty harvest. He said, I'll take it, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. And if it doesn't produce fruit in one year's time or a full season cycle, he said, then you can cut it down, sir. I'll understand. But at least give it a chance. That's the voice of mercy. Although the owner said, I will give it a chance, but only one year. In other words, my whole objective is to receive a harvest from what I planted. And I will extend mercy so that this thing can bear much fruit. Church... <clears throat> There's no way to talk to you about your harvest. And I like talking about the harvest. And we're going to get the harvest. And there's principles by which God has laid out for us to attain that harvest. But we can't talk about that harvest without talking about you and your faith and your finances and your resources. We talk about many things from the pulpit in America. But there are two things that most pulpits and preachers neglect to talk about. They get real nervous because they see people looking right back at them with their beady little eyes. And the two subjects are sex and money. Yet everybody's doing both. Come on, somebody. Every day of their life, except for my singles. Where are my single people at? Praise God. They said, Pastor, please don't talk about sex. I can't handle it right now. I just can't handle that right now. I'm just trying to teach him. It's going to get better from here. Trust me, it's going to get better from here. And some of the single people didn't even laugh at me. Praise God. They're like, this is serious. How dare you? It's going to get better, I promise. We don't talk about it because it makes people nervous. Yet both are natural streams. 
God made, God made it that we're supposed to have sex with a husband or a wife. And it's beautiful. And it's a wonderful thing. But we're so messed up on it. We're, everything's so out of, out of order with it. And he made economy because he put man in the earth, in the garden where he said where the gold was good. So there's always been economy with man, barter, trade. But we don't talk about those issues. Hush, preacher, don't say it might offend people. I think I might. I got a, I got a message. I'm going to message to my wife. She goes, Ooh, that's good. I got a message title I'm working on right now. Are you ready for it? The crazies, the lazies, and the daisies. We got a lot of daisies out there that get offended about every single thing you say. But the truth will separate. The truth will divide. The truth does hurt sometimes, but it's still the truth. We need to talk the truth. <laughs> Let me make this statement. Where the pulpit is silent, the people will struggle. And that's why people in the house of God, believers in Christ Jesus, are so messed up sexually. They've heard so much crap, so much garbage, so much of the world, saw so many stupid movies, saw so many stupid sitcoms, that their whole mentality of sex is so jacked up. Someone's got to talk about that. Don't get too nervous. It's not my message today. Hallelujah. It's not my message today. Same thing with money. We don't want to talk about it because we're afraid what people might think. Everybody say this. Say, talk to me straight, Pastor. All right, listen. God doesn't want you to struggle anymore. He don't want you to struggle. He's got an answer. The Bible has incredible information about the area of finances that will lift you completely out of poverty or, of, or out of the realm of just getting by. People, are, they'll just, they just settle for getting by. They always settle for less. Why don't we settle for more? Why are, why are we always thinking we should take less, be less? That's not God's way of doing business ever. God is above all things. His name is higher than all other names. His throne is on high, the Bible says. Amen, somebody. So God thinks incredible thoughts about us that are higher than our thoughts. He just wants us to believe him. He said, that's incredible. Maybe we need to get the word incredible out of our vocabulary because that's what it means. Incredible means it's not believable. And you read the word of God, you think, is that true? If it's true, it's, then, 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 then I'm, I should be blessed. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that you got to get this out of your spirit. That's not even part of my message. But just, I'm going to tell you how tradition works. We got, we, got, we got handed and sold a bill of goods that's not even from God's word. Where they said poverty is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. Nowhere. Everything God touched prospered. Not some of it, all of it prospered. Anybody who had God backing them became wealthy. And all poverty was eradicated out of their line of lineage, their families, and everybody else. I feel like I have the credibility to speak on this subject this morning because of where my wife and I come from. We don't come from a place of wealth. We don't come from a, with a silver spoon in our mouth. We, I, my, my dad was a truck driver, middle class income. 
And my, my wife, uh, her, her dad took odd, different odd jobs and so on. They worked a, a lot. They did a lot of uh, volunteering for the Salvation Army. And thank God for the Salvation Army because if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't have gotten any clothes sometimes. They wouldn't have Christmas gifts sometimes. They wouldn't have food sometimes. They were more on the poverty end of things. So we did not grow up with a lot of money in our pockets. But boy, have we watched God bless us over and over and over because I'm t- what I'm sharing with you are the principles this whole church didn't start with money. Didn't I told you my story? We didn't have any money. We had a credit card with a little bit of room on it, maybe seven, eight hundred bucks on it, and we maxed that sucker out. That thing took me five years to pay off. Come on, somebody. And it was for the church. But 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 we got to get started, right? So we used it to get started. And that's all we had. We didn't have no money to start all this. How did this happen, man? Somewhere we had to step out in faith and just trust God with what He said His word to do. And those are the principles I'm dedicated to teaching. And it may be hard for some people to hear, but I don't know why. I don't know why that is because it wasn't for me. When somebody taught me this, I'm like, oh, my goodness. If the Bible says it, we should just do it. So we never had a lot. We had to learn to give of what we had. We didn't have enough to give. How many know what I'm talking about? You didn't have enough money at the end of the month to take care of the bills you got. So the guy says, give 10% of your income to the house of God so that God's kingdom can flourish. And you're going, but I'm living on 110 right now. I'm always 10% behind every month. Am I right about that? Well, that tells me that we've got, to, we've got to rearrange our lives in such a way that's pleasing to God and not pleasing to us. America teaches you, you do for you. Make yourself feel good. You deserve a break today. And God says, don't forget me. Now, it's the same principle for every single one of us, not just for one, but for all. And so we had to learn, we had to learn that issue. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> what, would lo- what would your life look like if money was no longer your issue? What could you dream about? What could you think about? Let's just go into the theater of our minds right now. Praise God. What would you be doing right now if the pressure of money was off your back and you actually were enjoying what you're doing when you work because you're supposed to work? Amen. And if you work, you get rewarded for your labor. But what about enjoying what you do when you labor? Right? How would you think? How would you act? I want to get us in a place where we start dreaming again of the possibilities and God taking care of us supernaturally and then showing us natural means how to do it. Supernatural. It's not, it's not all super. It's not all spiritual. It's natural mixed with the supernatural. Malachi 3, verse 6 says this. For I am the Lord. I do not change In other words, you cannot apply a scenario that makes this non-applicable to you. Whatever God says it, it means he applies it to you, and it will not change. And there's not one scenario in God's word that says otherwise. He says, I am God. I change not. So whatever we find God doing, he's still doing today. Therefore... You are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. In other words, God says, I set forth a plan for you to follow. I have principles 
Principles are things you live by. They're precepts by which you live by that you organize your life with to give you a specific outcome. God says, my word I've given you as a principle or ordinance that you're to live. But what happened is you rebelled against them and decided to do things your way. Now, every one of us in this room could raise our hand, probably both hands and two feet. How many times we've done this, right, in our lives? Because we, we, we've all tried it our way. Why is it we tried our way? It never works. Always feels good at first. But it never works out the way that we planned it. But God says, I've got a way that's, that's, um, uh, that will not fail you, will never fail you. But you walked away from them. God will not make you do, church, what you're unwilling to do. He will not stick your arm behind your back and say, come with me. Sometimes I wish he would. But he made us free moral agents. In other words, we decide. What he does is, he says, he, what he does is he informs you. He says, this is what my word says. Walk in it. I'm informing you what to do. He said, I put before you life and death. Choose life. Blessing and cursing. Choose blessing. I hint, hint, hint. Choose life and blessing. But I can't make the choice for you. I can't make the decision for you. You've got to make it for yourself. And he says, I know it requires your faith. Because it's not the way you would do it normally. You just wouldn't do it that way. But, but I'm asking you to do it my way. I'm God. I'm your father. And then he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I love the clause in that Malachi 3 right there. That says if I got too far away from him, come on somebody, I can always find my way back. I can repent and get back in good graces with God. He'll work with me. Come on. He won't throw me away. Come on. One more year, God. Oh, God. I want to be fruitful. Come on. And mercy speaks over my life. It's like, how many remember back in the day? And uh, you had the car. And I had 70s cars. And... Uh, they had the bench seat. Remember the, the bench seat? So if you want to recline, everybody in the front seat had to recline with you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, and if you had a really cool car, like an up-class car, you had the one that had the split bench seat. So you had the armrest that came down so you could lean a little bit. Come on, somebody talk to me. But, man, when I had my girl, when I had, I had Pastor Robin in that car, oh, no, no, no. I made sure that that old thing was tucked away. Come on, somebody. Why? Because it was the 80s. And I had her slide over. Come on, somebody. I put my arm around her. Come on now. We didn't care nothing about safety. Safety belts. What's a safety belt? Who knows? We didn't know nothing about safety belts. We're living on the edge. We're going through the windshield together, baby. You know. Because back then you actually went through a windshield. There was nothing safety. Anyways, anyway. So... <clears throat> And so, and so, yeah, you know, yeah, right, right. Oh, that was nice. That was fun. And this older couple, one day, you know, now they're older, and um, they're sitting on both, you know, either side of the car. And the old man's got, he's got his deal. And she's sitting over there doing a little makeup, and she goes, "You know, honey, I remember the day when you know you used to be romantic." And you used to have me come sit by you in the car. I remember that you used to let me cuddle next to you, and it was just, I was your girl, and it just made me feel so good. He goes, "Well, baby." I didn't move. Return to me, says the Lord. Slide over, honey. I'm right here. 
I was telling the first, I probably shouldn't say this twice, but I was telling the first service, I said, back in the day when my wife and I first got married, you know, we were, you know, we were, you know, we were in shape, especially this boy, I was in shape. And so uh, we used to watch television. Now, nowadays, we got, she's got a seat over here. I got a seat over here. I want my room. Back in those days, ain't nothing about room, room. I said, let's watch a movie together. And we get on the couch. And I put my arm like this, and she, you know, she'd do the spoon, you know. And I'd be watching TV. I got my remote control like this. Come on, somebody. I got a bowl of popcorn on top of here. And we're, and we're just cuddled so, and watch a whole movie, never get hurt. Nothing happened. Come on, somebody. Enjoying one another's presence. I mean, even falling asleep. I mean, we just felt good, right? And then a little later in life came. And I said, baby, but let's get on the couch. And let's lay like we used to lay. And so we did. And then I noticed that we couldn't just lay on the couch. We had to slide the coffee table over so we could fit a little bit more. Come on, somebody. And then my elbow fell asleep. And then my arm, my leg had a cramp. <laughs> get off me. You're on my foot. How many knows what I'm talking about? I guess there's some things we can't return to. Praise God. But my analogy still works. So we got trouble. We got to return to him, right? That's the, that's the most important part and the most beautiful part about this. But this, this is what happens. He said, God said, but you said. God's looking at his people. He's going, now you said. In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now, can you feel the attitude? God's starting to get an attitude now. Can you feel it? Got to elevate a little bit right there. That reminds me of my mother when she wanted to ask me a question, but she's so aggravated with me and so mad at me that she answers the question before I can answer it. Where were you last night? I'll tell you where you were. Okay, Mom, tell me where I was. God's saying, he's saying, Why, how did you rob me? You robbed me in tithes and offerings. He answers the question for them. And here's what it says. You are cursed with a curse because you robbed the tithe and offering from me. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to curse you now because you disobeyed me. No, God, don't, God doesn't give you the curse. One thing we've got to understand is the curse is already in the earth. Jesus, come on somebody, is the one who removes the curse, but it's through our, our obedience unto him. And so what he's saying here is this. He's saying that you're living under the curse because of your disobedience, and I don't want you to live like that. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have a good life, a blessed life. But instead, you're living under the curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. So God's saying, your hand wasn't just in my pocket. Your hand was in my kingdom's pocket as well. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here's where it gets really cool. And try me. Put me to the test in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I 
shouldn't even have the honor to stand before you today and grace this pulpit with the background that I had and where my folks were heading and, you know, you're a product of your experiences. There was no God in our lives, none. When I was seven years old, my folks came to Jesus. Their life was dramatically transformed. As a result, I saw Jesus in their world. I wanted Jesus in my little seven-year-old world. And I gave my life to Jesus. And my father, on a truck driver's salary, which was not a bad salary, but um, made a decision. No matter what in this house, we will become tithers and we will give our offerings because that's what God demands from his word. And so we're going to do it. I'm saying that because I feel for a lot of you. Because I had the privilege of the upbringing, if you will, of learning it when I was seven. So when I mowed a lawn and I made five bucks, my dad was waiting for two quarters. So we could give that in our offering on Sunday. He would teach me, whatever you make, a dime on the dollar goes to God according to his word. And we're going to give it to the storehouse, which is the local church. And so I had that privilege, but I do feel for people when they don't grow up that way and they come to Jesus a little bit later in life and now they got all these bills and again, they're living on 110% of the salary, which means they're always behind every month. And then you hear a message like this and you want to do it because everybody wants to do it. We're believers. We want to, we want to be givers. That's our heart. I don't believe there's greedy people. I, I just believe there's, there's fearful people and they don't know how to do it. And, then I, and, and, and I understand that. But God doesn't change the principles to meet your current situation. He expects you to change your life to say, I'm going to obey you no matter what. If that means I've got to interrupt my life and disrupt it, I can't go to the movies. That's going to be the tithe. Or I can't go out to eat. That's going to be the tithe. Or whatever it's going to be, I'm going to do my best to make sure God gets what's his. And by the way, we're going to receive our offering at the end like we always do. This is not for a special offering, so don't get nervous. Every time we talk, I say, oh, my God, here we go. Oh, my God. What we, oh, we got to put a parking lot in today. Praise God. Oh, Lord Jesus. My last dollar right before Christmas. No, I, I promise you, this is a message I want you to take with you to learn and to get in your spirit and go back online and listen to it for free. You go online for free and listen to it and get it in your heart so it begins to make those notable changes and renew in your mind. So I remember when I came back to the Lord, my wife and I, um, she came first to the Lord back, and I, and I came. And this was 1989, and, and, I, and we made a decision. We were going to tithe. I didn't have the money to tithe. We were living on 100% of our salary. Just bought a little house, and it was a $45. I made 450 bucks a week. And, um, and uh, or was that together? I can't even remember now. Something like that. And, um, and so, uh, but I remember it was 45 bucks. And we made a decision. That was going to go to God. I'm telling you, folks, one little miracle after the other, after the other, after the other begin to happen. And, and I'm, then we have, she got pregnant. I said, honey, I don't want you to work. I want you to take care of the baby. And by the way, no guilt on anyone else. I just, that's what we decided to do. That was going to be faith. And, and so I said, Lord, how my biggest thing was, Lord, take care of my son. Take care of my son. My son, did he not, had the best clothes. If we didn't get it for him, 
We didn't have the ability to do it. Somebody else would come. God was speaking, deal with my heart to give you some Nikes and, and, and beautiful clothes to wear and hats and stuff he liked and toys. It was amazing. God knew exactly what my son needed and met every need he had. And then we decided we're going to up our giving. We're watching God do a miracle here. And it wasn't much, $10 here, 5 bucks there, 20 there, whatever minister. I remember a particular ministry online, or not online, there was no line then, but on television that we decided to give to. And we didn't have the money to do it. Oh, man, not only did God give us the money to do it, but kept meeting more and more needs. It all started with one little seed, a stepping out by faith and saying, God, I believe and trust you more than anyone else. And people, when you get somewhere and you're doing nice, they'll hate on you. You got to learn to carry that harvest well. You got to learn not to be smug about it, but when you come into your harvest, you got to understand God wanted you to have that to be nothing but an example of what He will do for anybody who will obey Him. <laughs> haters. We live in a generation of haters that hate when people prosper and do well. Don't hate them, ask them questions. Ask them, how did you do that? And let me just say, these same haters hold those who are doing well suspect as if they're doing something wrong to get it. The truth is, they're projecting themselves. It only reveals what's in their own heart. So don't worry about what other people think and what they say. Just know what God says about your life. Let, let me break down some of these words from Malachi. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. And he says here, will a man rob God? The word rob. See, in other words, we have to look how God sees the tithe. Because he says, when it doesn't come to me, I look at it as it's been robbed. He calls those who do not give their tithe a thief, which indicates that the thief was never, rather, I'm sorry, I said that wrong, that, which indicates that the tithe was never ours to begin with. He owns it all. So if I keep the 100%, God says, you're stealing from me. Please don't be offended. Don't be that daisy. Don't be that person. And when you get out of here, go to your word and go over every one of these scriptures and then find some more. You will find it's all backed up in the scriptures. It's all here. Throughout the Bible, God has something that is termed as divine portion, where God carves out a portion on earth for himself. Well, he's God. He should have something. He gives Adam in the beginning and Eve the whole garden. Whatever it is, here, it's yours. I created it, you manage it. It's yours. And then he says, if you want to name the tree, the tr that tree, call it an apple tree, it's the apple tree. If you want to call that thing a giraffe, it's a giraffe. You name it, it's going to be yours. Only there are two things in this garden that are not yours. I put in your management... They're in your hand to manage, but they're not yours. They're mine. And that's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you touch that, you will die. Why? They're mine. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that I have portioned something for myself that's for me, and all I'm asking you to do is be obedient to what I ask or require of it. When you eat God's portion... The curse will come upon you. Not that he curses you, because he won't curse what he loves. This is not something that's going to keep you out of heaven, guys. But it brings a little heaven into your world. It opens heaven. It opens the, the, the portal or window of heaven over your life. You still go to heaven, but you never have the blessing.
I got more years in this world. I want the blessing on my life. And when you eat God's portion, the curse comes. What's the curse? Hard toil, hard work with very little results. Someone says, well, I can't afford to give. Well, I will tell you this. <laughs> How much is it going to cost you to not give and live with a cursed 100% of your money or your abilities or whatever? I would rather give the 10 and get my 90 blessed. That, 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 for me, that's a no-brainer. That's how I would operate. Again, no manipulation. You're going to heaven. If you're blood-bought, that's it. That's all. That's all you need to know. But I'm talking about getting that blessing here on earth, on your life. And the tabernacle is another great example of this. He said, I want to build this. This is mine. But I tell you what. You can take the outer court. You can have the inner court. But you see that veil right there? Behind that veil, that's mine. It's called the Holy of Holies. And that's where I dwell. And only one person once a year could come in this place and have communion with me. That's the way I roll. That's what I want. It has nothing to do with what you want. It's what I want. Don't touch it lest you die. Jericho. Israel had come out. The Jews had come out of Egypt. And they were to fight in these battles. There were exactly ten cities that had to be defeated. The first one they came up against was the mightiest of them all, called Jericho. The walls were so massive, you could run six chariots in a race on top of the walls, side by side. They were fortified, ready and prepared for battle, and God says, that's the first one you're going to take, watch this, and you're going to take it for me. And no man, listen to me, he said, no man will take one bit, not a coin, not nothing, not a sandal strap from any of these people. He said, you'll take it all and burn it with fire. It's my reward. How many cities were there? Ten. It was the first tenth, come on, y'all, of all the other cities. And God said, that's not yours. That's mine. I want to make this statement. Money is a medium of exchange. It has no identity on its own. Money takes on the identity of the person who holds it. It becomes a mere image of the person who has it. It reveals what's in the heart and what's in the mind. But money, someone said, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Y'all know what I'm going to say. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money has nothing to do with it. It's when you love it more than you love God. It's the character of the person who has the money. So $20 bill in your pocket, come on, it reflects something. It can reflect what? Taco Bell. Sometimes it's good. Come on, someone say amen. It can, that $20 bill can be exchanged for what? It can be changed for milk, diapers, right? It could be given to your children to go to the movies. It can give you one or two gallons of gas, $20. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 10, 19 says this. Money answers all things. Did you know your Bible said that? Well, does that mean that money is the answer to all your problems? Absolutely not. No way. 
What it means is that money becomes a seed. It has potential for what it is that you need to harvest in your life. It becomes potential. That's why you should never give without expectation on that seed. You ought to put a name. If you get an envelope, put a name. But if you don't have an envelope, just remind yourself, I'm believing for this. What harvest are you believing for with that offering that you give every single week? It ought to mean something. Don't just give it. What are you believing for? Name your seed. Again, the apple seed, it's an apple seed. It's got to produce apples. Pear seed produces pears. Watermelon seed produces what? Watermelons, right? So in other words, I got a seed and a purpose. It's got a purpose behind it. Years ago, I said this. You ought to name your seed. This was years ago. We were in the school building. Had a young crowd. And um, not that you're not young, but they were younger. They were college students. Don't want anybody to get offended, praise God. Um, and so... And so I said, you ought to name your seed and put, put, name it on the, on the back of your envelope. When you, and then people, oh, they got excited about that. People put on their new car, you know, a ministry, you know, business, um, healing, anointings. Um, and one person got really personal. And they put a dude's name on there. It was a female in our church. And she was tired of being single. She said, I want me a man. She put a man's name on there who went to our church. <laughs> How do you know? Because we had like 35 members at the time, praise God. I knew everybody's name. She put the whole name right on the. I thought, I wonder, I, I'm so dumb. I wonder why she keeps putting the guy's name on there. And someone said, uh, pastors, because she's believing God, you said put a name to the seed, and she believed in God for her husband. I said, oh. I don't know if I believe in that. <laughs> you know what? Within one year, she married that guy, and that was, that was 15 years ago, and they're still married to this day. Come on, somebody. I don't know what God did. Some look, I'm going to have all these names. Oh, yeah. It worked once. That's all I can tell you. But my point is, there was an earnest heart there, an earnest cry, an earnest desire, right? So, Money takes on the identity of the one who holds it. That's very important to remember. Well, pastor, I would hope that if somebody over here at me won a bunch of money and came and said, I'm going to pay the building off, I would hope you wouldn't take that money, that filthy lucre. Well, someone already redeemed, praise God. Take it, pastor. <laughs> uh, that money, that money's tainted money. Well, in his hand, it's tainted. In my hand, it's holy. Come on, y'all. Guy was struggling one time. A pastor was struggling one time, and he had to pay off uh, his, he's putting, I think, a parking lot or something like that, in, and, and he, he couldn't get all the money. He was tired of it. He said, God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in. He's a known gambler, and he comes into the church, and he, he writes a check for, the, for all the, the need that they had for whatever project they were having, and, 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 and hand it to the pastor, and the elders stopped the pastor. We need to have a sidebar meter right now. They had a little meeting outside. Pastor, you cannot take that money. Do you know who he is? He's a gambler. That's ill-gotten gain money. That money is tainted. Pastor, you're absolutely right. That money is tainted, and we tank out enough of it, and we need to pay the project off. 
I'm taking the money. Some people get so holy, man. They just, as if, as if the money in your pocket, come on, somebody, didn't pass the hand of a sinner before it got to you. But there's a reason for that. Because we work out there in the world system. Somebody say amen. The tithe means the tenth. Why ten? Because ten is the highest you can go. It represents the whole. If you can learn to count to ten, the rest is easy breezy. But ten represents the whole. Tithe um, in the Hebrew means given to God for destruction. So if you read Malachi like that, you read it this way. Bring into the storehouse. Everybody say the storehouse. The storehouse now is the local church. I love, you know I love Joyce Meyer. But you don't give your tithe to Joyce Meyer. She's not the local church. You give an offering to Joyce and give a lot of it. She's awesome. And she's even given us an offering. She's a beautiful woman of God. I love her. Don't you get no write no nasty letters to Joyce about me. We support Joyce. We love Joyce. But she doesn't get the tithe and she'll tell you that. Amen. Why? She don't know your name. She don't know your children's name. She didn't baptize your, your, you and your family. She didn't dedicate your children. She don't get on her knees before God every single day and say, God, give them a miracle. She's not praying for revival for Milwaukee. Come on. It belongs where you eat. You don't go down to Wendy's and pay McDonald's. Amen. I'm just trying to break it down so we get understanding of it. So Malachi would read this way. Bring into the storehouse the whole, the whole given to God for destruction. Remember Jericho? It's called the irrevocable giving to God. In other words, when you give it to him, you don't get it back. It belongs to him and his kingdom. What does that mean? You work 40 hours a week giving to a company your skills, your time, and your labor. And they give you, in exchange, money. That money doesn't come from the kingdom of God. That money comes out of the world system. God has to sanctify that money. And how he does that or redeems that money is he does it through your tithe. The tithe, is says, he says, watch, I carve this out of your paycheck. This is for me. Thank you for working for me. Keep the 90 and get blessed in the 90. You're gonna blow, I'm going to blow your mind with what I give you. But now this is for me. And it's an act of faith. And it comes to me, to the storehouse, to be ble a blessing to my kingdom. And he says, now watch this. He says, now open the windows of heaven. I'll pour, pour blessings. You don't have enough room enough to receive. He goes through all that stuff. But he says, the 10 belongs to me, which means, which means that I've carved out that portion because 10 also means redemption. How many plagues had to happen or did happen before the children of Israel left Egypt, which is a type of the world. Was it five? Three. Six and a half. Nine. It was exactly ten. Exactly ten. Ten represents the whole. All of God's people. 
It represents redemption. He's going to redeem us. We're redeemable. And now he does what? He takes us, redeems us out of the world, out of that stinking curse. And what? Leads us into the promised land. It's all throughout and connected in our Bibles. So God said, if you bring me the tithe, I will break the power of lack, debt, and poverty in your life. I don't want to work with a curse. It's tough enough in this world under the blessing because I got the devil always trying to steal and rob and kill. But now then, I'm still blessed though. But man, working on that curse is tough, y'all. He said, if you'll do it, I'll re- I'm almost done. I'll re- I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. The word devourer means seed eater. He said, I'll rebuke them, which means what? To put your hand up and say, stop, no more. And we need our God to go in, not only break the spirit of poverty over our lives, but tell the devil, you're not going to rob one more seed out of our field. Stop, no more. He said, that's what your tithe and your offering does. And I'm going to make it real clear, real plain, because that's the way it's got to be. And then we're out. <clears throat> that's just the tithe. The offering is what's measured back to you. Tithe opens the heavens. Tithe rebukes the devourer. The offering is what's measured back to you. When God says, you bring the offering to me, he says, that's what I'll multiply. That's another level of giving. And what's cool about the offering is it's not a set amount. It's relative. $5 for you might be the last $5 you got. I'm not, don't give it. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Just listen to what I'm saying. And if you gave that $5, it'd be like you giving $5 because for you, it's all relative. It's your last five bucks. And God will honor you as much as the guy who gave the five million because it's not about the amount. It's about the act of my will to be obedient to what he's asking me to do. That's all he asks. That's all he asks. No manipulation here. No control here. My job is to teach the word. Even if it's tough to hear, sometimes we dance. It's a wonderful dance. Man, we dance, it's just beautiful, right? And sometimes we dance, and you don't know the steps, and I'm stepping all over your toes. Come on, somebody. And it's a little uncomfortable, but we got through it together. Hallelujah. But I would rather have a preacher that makes me feel uncomfortable by telling me the truth than somebody that's always up there paddocating and making me feel like, I, I, I don't know what they're making me feel like, but they're trying to make me feel bad or whatever. No, I don't want that, man. I want God's best for you. I want God's best.